You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Thank you very much, Matt. Um, it's an honor to be here. Uh, my wife and I actually came and visited the village when we first moved back to Cincinnati from Dallas, Texas, well, seven years ago, I, I think. Uh, we found a, a welcome, a warm reception. I remember spoke with Adam, one of the pastors, for a really long time, and since then have gotten to know all, all of the guys, Scott, Michael, Matt, and Adam. And man, what a, what a great group of people. What a great church, Michael and I. Uh, just the, the, the culture that the Spirit of God is building here and how uh, this really feels like a second home for me. I, I fit in a little bit better here than I even do maybe uh, where I'm coming from, with the exception of one thing. Um, man, these guys are Microsoft fanatics, and I just don't understand it. And so I, I uh, always joke with Michael, man, we, we find a lot of common ground, but that's not one of them. And uh, I hope that this thing doesn't catch on fire or something like that because it has an Apple product sitting on it. But uh, I kid, I kid. All that to say this, this does really feel like home to me, um, a second home. I uh, look forward to the opportunities that I, I get to come and be with you. And so I uh, want to take a look at our scripture. Uh, we'll spend some time looking at some aspects of our focal text, and then looking at a handful of other texts. I know you guys have been in a sermon series on Exodus, uh, and this isn't the first time the topic that we're going to talk about today has shown up. And so you have a fairly, uh, they've laid a a fair foundation for you. Hopefully you're already considering uh, some of the things that we're going to consider today. Um, But Michael kind of gave me freedom to speak on any of the aspects of the focal text, uh, and even drew out uh, a little casual joke about the boiling of, uh, boiling of mother's blood and mother's milk, or whatever the end of it says, and I said, yeah, that'd be a great topic for Mother's Day. So I'm going to avoid that, because he gave me the liberty to, and, uh, and it's Mother's Day, but we're going to dig right in. I want to just kind of right at the front put out the kind of big idea or kind of the main point that I uh, see really clear coming right out of our focal text, and that's this, that the invitation of the Christian life is an invitation towards delight and rest in Jesus. The invitation of the Christian life is an invitation towards delight and rest in Jesus. And I really see Um, our focal text, drawing out these two realities in really practical ways uh, and and in ways that God's people have historically uh, practiced them as some form of a spiritual discipline. It references uh, rest in the discipline of Sabbath keeping uh, and gives us some instructions on what that should look like. But it also references the light in these three feasts that were mentioned. I grew up, uh, grew up not thinking much about the feast or the Sabbath at all. Um, down in Cincinnati and in, in northern Kentucky, there is a, a small group of people that um, are somehow invested and intertwined with Hebrew roots, and they have this strong affection and um, they have a strong connection to the Jewish traditions that are spelled out throughout the Old Testament. Uh, I think sometimes in a way that may be not super helpful, but in some ways are really, really helpful. And so I think there was a, uh, a way that Sabbath and feast and things were talked about growing up in my development of faith that kind of gave me a little bit of a pause towards them. And that was only amplified by groups of people that, that may have taken things a little bit too literally uh, and didn't really understand how the New Testament and the Old Testament was playing together. And since I have limited time today, I want to address primarily the topic of Sabbath. We'll also look at delighting in God 
along the way, not through the keeping of feasts necessarily, but establishing our own rhythms for what it looks like for us today, 2021, right here in Hamilton, Ohio, to incorporate rhythms and disciplines and things that kind of provide a guardrail for us to walk out this idea of delighting in Jesus. And so that's where we're going. I don't want anybody to be surprised. We'll spend most of our time talking about Sabbath. Historically, Sabbath has been celebrated and practiced through a weekly uh, 24-hour period beginning at sundown on Friday evenings, ending on sundown uh, on Saturday evenings, where all working and all uh, production and all advancement kind of stops, right? And we rest and we delight and we contemplate God's goodness and we do all of these things as part of our Sabbath rhythms. However, in the church, you're aware of them. There's a spectrum of thought regarding how and if even the Sabbath should be practiced and how it should be represented within the church of Jesus Christ uh, right now. This is not exhaustive. And I do want to just clarify, I have friends, really great friends, um, who are on different ends of the spectrum, who I think love Jesus and are doing their best to make his kingdom known and caring for the people entrusted to their care. But we have differing and and often sometimes very strong opinions uh, about this spectrum of the way we are understanding the Sabbath. On one end of the spectrum is the thought that the Sabbath should be practiced to the exact letter of the law represented throughout much of Exodus, throughout Leviticus, throughout the other Old Testament law teachings with little to no deviation or freedom to uh, be, be moved too far from what is pre- prescribed in the Old Testament scriptures. On the other end of the spectrum is that the Sabbath is simply a mindset. It's a posture of the heart and that it has no, there's no real need to practice it because Jesus is our rest. They would look at texts like Hebrews chapter number four, Colossians number three, and build an argument against the necessity uh, or the gift of practicing Sabbath. And so I just want you guys to know where I'm coming from because I, I have zero doubts that even in a room this size, um, and I think sometimes even as we've dived into this, even differences of perspectives in amongst our elder team uh, from time to time down at Missio. And so there's, there's a lot of spectrum. I just want you to know where I'm coming from. Uh, I'm coming from the position that we still have a responsibility to practice Sabbath, but also from the position that the New Testament or New Covenant in Jesus doesn't absolve the responsibility to Sabbath, but gives us tremendous and absorbent amounts of freedom in how we practice it, right? Not coming from a legalistic, pushing something on you that you're not ready for or uncomfortable with, uh, but want to give you some things to consider as you take a deep and hopefully an honest look at the rhythms of your life and how you're finding rest and how you're uh, tangibly and practically living out this idea of rest in Jesus, right? I think, yes, it's a posture. It's a state of being. It's it's deeply ingrained and rooted in what's happening in our heart. But I think there's also some practical realities to rest that are unavoidable. You may be coming from another place, and my job today isn't to convince you, um, but to open up the scriptures and and give you some things to consider, maybe even perhaps some things to wrestle uh, out with the Holy Spirit, right? He does the job of convincing, and I don't have to do that. Thanks be to God. It's fascinating how often the topic of rest and burnout present themselves in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Yesterday morning, I was uh, sitting out attending to uh, a Mother's Day. Nothing says Happy Mother's Day to my wife better than a yard sale, and so we had a yard sale, right? And um, we were sitting out there, and, and a friend of mine sent me a text that was an article that the Wall Street Journal had published. No matter how you feel about the Wall Street Journal, that's uh, neither here nor there, but the Wall Street Journal published this article called What We've Lost in Rejecting the Sabbath. And it was this, this, this cultural reality that 
uh, way too many of us are more burned out than we give honest evaluation to. Many of us feel overworked and very underrested. Many of us feel like we're barely keeping up with the pace of life that we've created for ourselves or that has been handed to us in a variety of other ways. That was the kind of the thrust of the article. And how do we engage in this ancient historical and Christian tradition to bring about a levity and bring about some balance in our life between work and rest? Interestingly enough, I read another article this week that mentioned that millennials, and this is not a knock on a millennial, I find myself in that world too, right? So don't hear me say that millennials are bad. I'm one of them. But millennials are having an increasingly difficult time addressing and even identifying burnout in their own lives. And the article was making this case that at least for millennials, it's because their burnout is really their normal state of being. It's all they know. They're, they've never experienced the difference. They've never experienced a well-rested life. They have experienced living way outside of their limits, living right up, pushing up to their capacities at all time. And they're starting to, years later, feel the weight of that, feel the, the bodily effects of that, feel the emotional the spiritual, the, the mental, all capacities of who we are and who our being represents are deeply, deeply affected by constantly living life at 100 miles an hour, right? And it's not always work-related. Like, I, you know, I can keep a good work and, and life balance, but I throw myself into just other things that are equally as exhausting instead of taking the time to rest, to renew, to recuperate. And as I've assessed my own soul and spent much time talking with other Christians and many other pastors on the topic of burnout, my assessment isn't this, just, this isn't just a secular millennial problem. It's a problem that's deeply ingrained in who we are and, and really in a lot of ways has invaded the church. I've seen that it's not less true for Christians. In many of the cases, it may be even more true of Christians in at least my social circles, right? When we do the work of the kingdom, we attribute a lot of value that is rightly attributed. Man, there, there, is, there is nothing more beautiful than being a Christian and getting to participate in the life of God and get to participate on mission with him. And that brings a lot of joy and a tremendous amount of satisfaction to me personally, and I know to so many of us. But sometimes that value of going after and chasing God and, and, and building his kingdom can kind of blind us to some realities of things that are happening internally in our hearts and internally in our souls that I don't think God intended for us to have to wrestle with. I think he gave us something. Something that's a gift. And so as we engage with the topic of Sabbath, and I've kind of given you just a little bit of introduction about where I'm coming from and where I'm going, I want to just ask this question. Again, it'll be rhetorical, just to give you something to consider over the next moment. What are some things that you think might contribute to burnout amongst Christians? Right? Many of us are coming from all other places. Some of us might come. We've been, you know, you're three chapters removed from maybe the first teaching of the Sabbath in Exodus chapter number 20, and you might have already begun feeling the fruit of slowing down and incorporating rhythms for rest and delight into your life. Others of us might be coming, man, we barely got here, right? We're, we're so exhausted. We're so overwhelmed by the realities of life, the realities of ministry, the hardships that have been endured over the last year to year and a half, right? We're all different, like we're all exhausted to some degree, whether that's emotionally or physically. It's Mother's Day. My old mom is in here saying, I'm well rested and life is amazing, right? I'm getting plenty of sleep. My kids don't ever interrupt me. I get all kinds of free time to myself to really spend with Jesus and process all the things that I need to process. Nobody's saying that, right? And so what are some things that you think contribute to burnout amongst Christians? And even more personally, what might be some of the things contributing to burnout in your life, in your life? And I want to just submit to us this morning 
that when I think about burnout, the best way that I've thought about uh, describing it in the context of the Sabbath and our time together is this, that burnout is the natural progression of living outside of God's rhythms and limits. Burnout is the natural progression of living outside of God's rhythms and limits. God gave us rhythms for work and rest in created order. Six days for the purpose of working, one day for the purpose of resting. As we'll read in a moment, he set aside the seventh day, a full 24 hours of time, and declared it holy. Right? That's significant. That's significant. Um, There's not a whole lot of other days or things that are talked about in regards to God saying, hey, I'm setting this set time apart, and I'm going to name it and call it holy. And so we don't want to just move on from that as if, ah, this, this day that you've made it holy isn't significant. It's significant. He doesn't attribute that to everything. Abraham Joshua Heschel is a, it was a, he's, he's recently, he's passed on, but he was a Jewish professor living in the New York amongst the Hasidic Jewish community. He wrote a book that's called The Sabbath, and he says this. He says, observance of the seventh day is more than a te- presence of God in the world open to the souls of man. He goes on to describe the Sabbath as a cathedral in time, a place where heaven meets earth, a place where what is meets what is to come. It's a shadow representing something that we already have as New Testament Christians in Jesus, but also a shadow pointing us to what we ultimately will have fully experienced, fully in the body, when we'll ever be with him day by day, moment by moment, week by week, year by year, forever and ever and ever. Rest. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us along a couple of lines today. The first one being this. The Sabbath is a blessing to receive and not a burden to resist. If we look at Sabbath keeping, setting aside a 24-hour time period for the purpose of intentional rest, intentional delight, intentional stopping of working, intentional uh, contemplation of the goodness of God in our weekly rhythms... It's a blessing that we should receive and not a burden that we should resist. Jesus declares two things in Mark chapter number three. We're going to get there in just a moment and read it regarding the Sabbath. But he says this. He says that men weren't created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. Right? He's saying, hey, you weren't, you weren't put into the system. This was a gift that God gave us as men, as women, as children to enjoy, right? Then he says this also, he is Lord even of the Sabbath. He is Lord even of the Sabbath. We're going to dive into that text in just a little bit. But Old Testament believers worship Jesus from a place of promises made where we get to worship Jesus from a place of promises kept towards Jesus that would come and ultimately find, where we would ultimately find in him our soul's Final rest, right? Sabbath rest is is and was a foreshadowing, a pointing towards Jesus where we find our rest and where we will find experiences kind of came from an invitation to dinner with a family who was very much invested in kind of the Hebrew roots thinking. Um, they They had been heard in that world, this house church movement that was very practicing all Jewish traditions But Sabbath was really important to them. And they had come to our church and just were really honest about the pain that they had experienced, the difficulties that they had in in finding connection, and and kind of like really just lobbying a last-ditch effort. Like, hey, we're here. Um, We're hoping this works out because we don't know what else we're going to do because all these other areas of our life have been more hurtful than helpful. And so no pressure, right? No pressure at all. Um, But we were invited over to their house for dinner. And Hebrew, a Hebrew word, or depending on who you read, a, a Yiddish word that was attributed to the word Sabbath is the word Shabbat. And a lot of people will practice their Sabbath with a Shabbat meal. Shabbat just means Sabbath, a stopping, a ceasing, right? And, and they invited us over for what they called Shabbat dinner on a Friday evening. 
And in a moment, so simplistic that the youngest at the table could uh, dec- both declare these truths and understand these truths, I was kind of like, I felt like a, sh- a fish out of water. Like I felt super uncomfortable. We lit some candles. They blew this horn. And there was singing. There was dancing. Uh, there was f- great food. He made the perfect Detroit-style deep dish pizza, homemade in his house. She had baked freshly baked cookies like in so many ways. It was like a dream come true for me. Yet I was still very, very, I don't know the words, I don't know the, I don't know what to do, right? And so I just had to sit there and be uncomfortable and not know what they were doing. Well, all of that kind of wrapped up and right before dinner and we were going to pray and bless the food and enjoy this, this stuff that was before us. He, uh, the dad of the home, just kind of led the family into like this say response thing. And, uh, it was, he said, is our work done? I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything. And all the kids and the wife and everybody else that was there just kind of shouted, yeah, no, 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 our work is not done. And I was just like, huh, okay, like, yeah, that's, that's true. Like, our work isn't done. And I'm just, I'm processing real time, which is not my strong suit. And uh, then he goes, is that okay? And he goes, and then everyone, like as quickly as they could be, I'm still not catching on, so I didn't say anything. I didn't want to look stupid. Uh, shouts, yes, yes, our work. Or, or is that okay? Yes, it's okay that our work is not done. I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a lot of energy for a Friday night dinner. I'm wore out just, just in this introduction. But then he said, why is that okay? Why is that okay? And they said just as beautifully and as simply as they could, because Jesus finished his work on the cross for us, our work can go undone. I mean, I thought that was beautiful. And, and from a kid that was sitting in a, a high chair, getting ready to destroy the pizza, just waiting, chomping at the bit, he was able to declare it. Their older kids was able to declare it. And it was a beautiful reminder. In that moment, I was reminded of a couple of things. One, the beauty of the gospel. It's reminded that there's no need to strive. There's no need to prove myself. There's no need to try harder and be better so that God would accept me. Christ did all the work required to restore me back to God and restore me back to our creator and heavenly father. Man, it was such a beautiful and simplistic reminder. Christ did all the work. In his death, Christ overcame our restlessness, our sinfulness, even our busyness. He rose again, promising and providing rest, true rest, rest for our souls through the power of the Holy Spirit. And church, this is what the Sabbath has always been about, pointing us back to the person and work of Jesus Christ, where in him and in his work we find our rest I love what Mark Buchanan says in his book, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul Back by Restoring Sabbath. He says this, and, and listen, I think there's, there's some, some incredible truths within it. In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest... We miss the rest of God, the rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply, be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude toward nurture such stillness. It is both a time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual, physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence that we miss in our busyness. Right? I mean, that that line at the end just jumps out to me. I wonder often nowadays... How much of life is like just passing me by because I'm so busy? 
Like, what is God up to in my heart? What is God up to in the hearts of my family, my friends, the people around me? What is God up to is, uh, up to in his city where he has us planted and living our lives on mission? Like, I just wonder if I'm going so hard after the things that I want in life that I'm missing what God's actually doing. Right? And he's saying, like, man, sometimes we're so busy we miss God and the things that God wants to reveal to us about his character through the word because, man, we're just going so fast we couldn't see it or receive it. And it's fascinating. And so I want to look at a couple different texts and draw just a couple ideas, give us some questions, again, to consider and think about over the next week regarding the topic of Sabbath. My first one I want to look at is Genesis chapter number 2. Verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter number 2, verses 1 through 3. This is coming immediately on the, healing, the heels of uh, the, the, the six-day work that God had done in creation. It says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first thing I want us to see is the Sabbath as a worshipful reorientation. The Sabbath as a worshipful reorientation. There is an interesting difference between the way that God worked and then rested and his invitation for us to do our work from a deep place of rest in Christ. Right? Does that make sense? Like Jesus, God did his work in creation and then he rested, but his invitation to us is to do our work from the very rest that he's provided in his son Jesus. And so what does that tangibly and practically look like in our lives? And I would just pose this question. Do you consider yourself to work from a place of rest or do you find yourself often working so that you can rest? Right? I grew up with this idea. Here's a couple of the messages I received both within my home and within my church uh, connected to rest. And, and they wouldn't have said the Sabbath, but rest in general. Um, my dad always said he worked for the weekends. Right, He worked so that he could have time off on the weekend. Um, my church would often say somebody in my church, a youth leader or a pastor or somebody like that, would get up and declare, like, the devil doesn't take a day off, so neither will I. Uh, things like, um, you know, when, when I'll rest when I die, right? I'll rest when I die. And it's like, yeah, you, you will, and you might die a little prematurely because you won't rest, right? But those are some of the, the messages that I would receive. And so as you consider your life, do you often find yourself as someone who works from a place of rest with the people you are close to that know you intimately? Would they affirm that in your life or deny that? The difference, although very subtle, the difference, although very subtle, seems to be rather significant. And here's how I see it connecting to us today right here at the Village Church in Hamilton, Ohio. There is always going to be work to do and more work to do, right? That's just a, that's just a, a human reality. Work knows no end. This is true of my work. This is true of your work. This is true of my work inside my home and my work outside of my home, just the same as it is true for you. Some questions that help us consider that is every project that you'll ever do completed right now. Sure, sure is not. There's a lot of projects that aren't even started that I'm not even aware of. Are the people you are responsible for leading Uh, Fully matured into adulthood, thinking of children, and then fully matured into Christ, thinking of both our children and our community of faith? No, they're not. Does every single person in our part of the city know, love, and follow Jesus already? No, they don't, right? And so there's work to do, both in the church and outside of the church. And if we're working to rest, and our idea and our hope is to rest when we're done working, and the work never ends... How then and when then will we rest? Right? And the reality is we won't. And some of us are living our lives in that reality. Oh, there's always so much to do. If I, if I, if I get caught up, I'll do this. If I uh, get this, all this project stuff completed, I, then I'll rest. If I 
uh, just if I can get past this stage of parenting, then I'll rest. If I can, we fill in the blank with so many what ifs that aren't ever going to come. And when they do come, something else is just going to shift right into its place, going and going. And Sabbath rest sets the rhythm and the pace for our lives, both for the Sabbath day, the 24-hour time period that we're taking off to rest, but also for the remainder of the week. It reorients the way we work, the way we rest, the way we view work, and the way that we view rest. We have to prepare for our work and for our rest, right? Not not to rest, but for our rest. Some of us are, are really acquainted with developing skills, getting education, growing in our competency and our abilities to do our work, but how are we growing in our disciplines, competency, education for how to rest? If you've lived much life at all, you've probably come to the realization, like I have, that Man, this is not something I'm just naturally going to be intentional about it. Are we going so fast and so hard the rest of the week that when it comes time for Sabbath, we can't rest? I know for me in my life, I was sharing this. It helped, helped our elder team kind of adjust some of our Sabbath and vacation rhythms. Um, where I, man, if I take a 10-day vacation, let's just say a seven-day. A lot of people are accustomed to a seven-day vacation. If I take a seven-day vacation um, in the summer with my family, I spend at least the first two or three days winding down, decompressing, unplugging, disconnecting, right? And then I spend at least a day or two ramping back up. Why? Because my brain, my body, my emotional world, my everything about me is hardwired to produce, to go. I started assessing, like, man, if I'm taking a seven-day vacation with my family and I'm spending two to three days winding down and one to two days ramping back up, I'm spending, like, two or three days resting and fully present with my family. That's not good for them, and that's not good for me, right? And so how do we adjust our lives? How do we rest in... There's weeks where I would be very intentional about hoping to rest and to spend some time on the weekend resting, but man, there were so many deadlines and there were so many things that easily creeped into my setting aside of this 24-hour time period for the purpose of Sabbath rest. Oftentimes, there were too many loose ends to rest, and I'm learning more and more about myself the importance of preparation for rest. Just diligence. There's a value thing. I, I need it. God says I need it. God says he's giving me this rhythm and this time constraint and limitation to work within. I need to embrace that. All right, but how am I going to embrace it? I'm going to have to learn to do it. And uh, man, that's been a miserable, miserable process. And I come to you not as the expert in any way, but very much the student, still learning still practicing, still frustrated some weeks with my inability to stop my brain from working. C.S. Lewis writes a good amount about the relationship between laziness and busyness. The relationship between laziness and busyness. And Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, wrote in one of his books in referencing C.S. Lewis's work, on this theme of the connection and relationship between laziness and busyness. He says this. He says, I am busy because I am lazy. Ooh. Man, that, like, that, I don't want to be lazy. Like, I grew up with the message in my house that the last thing you wanted to be was lazy. Very, very busy. And C.S. Lewis and Eugene Peterson are drawing this conclusion that I am busy because I am lazy. I, indol- I indolently let others decide what I will do Instead of resolutely deciding myself, it was a favorite theme of C.S. Lewis that only lazy people work hard by lazily abdicating the essential work of deciding and directing, establishing values, setting goals, other people do it for us. Right? Did you catch that? Instead of doing the hard work of identifying values, setting structures, creating rhythms, 
directing and deciding what it is that we want to do and how we want to spend our time, we let other people do it for us. Right? I mean, my busyness was often a creation of the idolatry in my own heart, but also the unwillingness to take responsibility for the things that God said is important to us. And the beauty of the gospel is that God in his grace and mercy towards us provides for us a rhythm for working and resting as a means of reorienting our hearts and lives into rhythm with him, into participation with him, not in solely doing things for him. The next thing I want us to look at is the Sabbath as worshipful resistance. The Ten Commandments give us, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, you guys have already uh, dug into that. The focal text even brought, brings us back to that reality of remembering the Sabbath and gives us some instructions on how to practice. But I want to see from those texts, both our focal texts, our Exodus 20 uh, verses 8 through 11, the Sabbath as worshipful resistance. Accomplishment and producing aren't bad things. God gives us six days for the purpose of pursuing those endeavors. But the gospel overwhelmingly reminds us again and again that we are more than what we do. We are more than what we produce. We are more than what we achieve. And so I just submit to you, a question for consideration would be, how would you describe your relationship with achievement and productivity? You have a healthy relationship with it. We practice Sabbath not because it makes us more productive at work. We practice the Sabbath to resist the idol of productivity. But what I'm experiencing in my life, rest in my body, the rest mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, actually provides a greater productivity. I don't know many lazy people. Perhaps you do. They're just not a part of my circle of friends that would self-identify as lazy or the people around them would identify as lazy. But I do know many friends, many of which are pastors, who are compulsive overworkers. They just go, go, go. Big vision, big plans for the future makes it very difficult to live in the present time. Often what we as people want to see accomplished next leaves little room for us to enjoy what we have now, right? That's the society we live in. What's next? What's next? What can I buy next? What am I saving for? What am I working towards? What is the next promotion? What is the next goal? What is the next degree? Like we're so conditioned for what's next. I wonder if we're so conditioned to what's next, we can't stop and pause and just enjoy what is now living in the present realities of our life. Often what we want to see accomplished leaves little room for enjoying what we have now. This isn't the way God wants us to live, friends. The idol of productivity turns our being present with people into an efficient fixing of people. I remember years ago, my wife was sharing something. Um, and, I mean, it took me seven years to learn this in my marriage. I hope it doesn't take you that long. She was sharing something with me, and man, I, my brain, the way it works, I immediately got to the end conclusion, what she's going to need to fix or solve or move on from her problem, and she was talking, and she's a external processor. I'm very much an internal processor. Makes for great, amazing conversation in her house, and uh, I just, I very rudely, very arrogantly, kind of just paused her. Hey, Let's move on, like, let's move. Here's what you should do. You should go do this, this, and this. And that was it. And I walked into my office, and I thought, man, the Holy Spirit just convicted the mess out of me in that moment. And I thought, man, I just turned her into a project. I think the way I was justifying it in my head was, if, if I know where this is going and I can get there 25 minutes faster, we'll both be better for having the 25 minutes. But what I was doing was expressing to her that my 25 minutes was more valuable than she was, right? And so one way to kind of just investigate our own hearts in regards to the idol of productivity are, 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 are in, is in what ways has productivity, efficiency, and achievement gotten in the way of you being present with people, present with people, listening, having the time to engage with them. The invitation of the gospel is that God in his grace and mercy towards us 
provide for us a rhythm of working and resting to resist idolatry, to resist selfish ambition, us to enjoy him now. And then the last thing, and this is where I'll end, I want us to see the Sabbath as worshipful restoration. Our text for this, we won't spend time reading it all, is Mark chapter number 2, verse uh, 23, all the way down to chapter number 3, verse 6. Essentially, what's happening is Jesus is healing somebody on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the religious people of the day, show up, and they have a problem about it. Right? This is, this, is a regular, this is a regular interaction that Jesus has throughout his earthly ministry with these people about healing on the Sabbath. Um, and, and, he, and he says a couple of things. Some of those we've already said here in verse chapter 3. It says this, And he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, It is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around them in anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. One thing I find fascinating about these interactions that Jesus has is he was healing this man with a wizard hand. They were indignant and upset about it. And so they worked. They left that interaction and worked and went to conspire against Jesus. It's fascinating, the, the hypocrisy, the, the self-righteousness. But as we consider the Sabbath as worshipful restoration, I see Jesus asks them a question in verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm or to save life or kill? The Pharisees don't respond. Jesus says they're revealing their hardness of heart. And then Jesus asks the man to stretch out his hand. He restores it. He heals it. He returns it to health. In doing so, in this repetition, in these texts like this where Jesus heals on the Sabbath, I believe he gives us a window of understanding into what he is doing through the Sabbath. He heals and he restores. This isn't just the experience of this man and many other in Scripture. It's been my experience as well. Have I experienced healing, renewal, and restoration through the simplicity of slowing down, resting according to God's rhythms and limitations for my life? As I've slowed down, I've grown an awareness of my spiritual, emotional, physical health, and the health of those around us. And this thought, this idea is further and further cemented down into the very depth of my soul is that the greatest gift we can give the world, our church, and our families is ourselves, our presence, ourselves, our presence, having been transformed by Jesus. Jesus will use our presence to transform those around us. We can't give what we don't possess, and as we try to do so, we grow more exhausted and disconnected from God and other people in our life. And God comes, and he says, hey, I've got this rhythm Jesus came and he talked about it and Jesus used it to restore and Jesus used it to bless and Jesus took it upon himself to combat the religious ideologies that were working against him. Church, I want us to consider that busyness is not a sign of blessedness as it so often is in our culture. It's a sign of brokenness. We're often overworked overstimulated, more distracted than any other generation. We're also more depressed, more anxious, and more hopeless than any other generation. We're living a pace of life more informed by the American dream than God's pace of life for us. And that may lead us to accomplish more and accumulate more. It may push us towards a sense of power and prestige externally, but internally. Wall Street Journal's on, uh, catching on to this. Secular psychology's catching on to this reality. Scriptures declares abundantly and loudly this reality that internally, this constant pursuit of what's next, this, uh, this inner turmoil that is always filled with busyness, is eating away at our soul. And we're becoming less and less human, less and less attuned to what God is up to in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And church, if busyness is the bitterness of always pushing up against our limitations, Sabbath is the sweetness found in embracing our limitations. Slowing down to be with Jesus is at the heart of the Sabbath. By it, Christ is renewing us. Christ is restoring us. 
and Christ is healing us. And I'm going to wrap it up this way. Four principles for ways that we should engage with the Sabbath. How do we incorporate these types of, what kind of rhythms are we looking for? What kind of, what kind of activities should we be considering? What kind of ingredients kind of make up a healthy Sabbath? The first one is stopping, right? Just stopping. And it doesn't have to be a Friday night. That's what works for me and my family. Sundays can be a good day. You're gathering with your church. Mondays might have to be a whatever day. Like just I'm going to set aside 24 hours to live within this rhythm and limit that God has given me. Six days for working, one day for resting. I'm just going to stop. The core spiritual issue connected to stopping, though, is trusting. This is the, this is the constant wrestle in my heart and soul is will God take care of me and my concerns if I stop working and practice the Sabbath rest 24 hours a week? Second, and rest. We respect our humanity and the image of God in us because we are being humans. We are human beings, not human doings, right? We can't fill our life, our calendar, our schedules with lots of things to do. We have to learn to just be who we are and rest in who we are. Consider resting from work, from hurry, from worry, decision-making, competition, running of errands, productivity, accomplishment, shopping, consuming content. And here's the thing. What I found true in my life and true in the lives of other people is if we don't get rest where we should, we start looking for rest where we shouldn't. Right? And we, and we, we escape to things promising false hope of rest instead of getting the rest that we've already been promised and already have in Jesus. Man, we feel miserable about that. We feel guilty about that. We have to be intentional about doing something different. Third thing is delight. In many ways, this is what the feasts were about. Opportunities to stop, to celebrate God's goodness, and to delight in his creation. Right? And I don't think we have a I don't think we have a responsibility to practice all the feasts. I think the scriptures are speak loudly and abundantly clear about that in Hebrews four and Colossians three. But that doesn't mean the principle isn't important. How are we finding rhythms to delight in God's goodness and blessings that He's given us? If I can be honest with you, this is the hardest principle of the four for me. I don't delight very well. I was meeting with my spiritual guide and life coach. His name's Jim. He's in his 70s. He was a pastor for 25 years. And uh, when we first started practicing a Sabbath, he asked me, what are you delighting in? And I was like, I'm just going to be I was very embarrassed by my answers or lack of answers to the point where he just stopped me and said, hey, man, it sounds like the things that you delight in are, are your work. And it's good that you get to delight in your work. We need to find other ways to delight that aren't work. Uh, and since then, man, I've tried all kinds of different stuff. The idea is to learn to play, learn to waste time, learn a hobby, learn to play a sport, learn to get outdoors, read a good book. Whatever it is for you, find ways to delight in God's creation that aren't your, your, where your primary motivation isn't to accomplish something, right? Just enjoy what he's already provided for you. And then the last is contemplate. Set aside time on Sabbath to pray, to contemplate scriptures. Spend time in silence and solitude before God, not trying to do anything, but just learning to be present with him. And as we're present with him, we learn to be present with ourselves, And then we can be present with the people that are around us. A practice of mine, contemplating my identity and worth in Jesus Christ, because in my work, these are often the things that get the most challenged. Throughout the week, I ask myself a similar question each Saturday when I'm practicing this aspect of contemplation is, in what ways does my current rhythm of life expose how I understand God's delight in me and his desire for relationship with me? Does it express that I feel as if he wants to use me to accomplish something or does it express that he wants to be with me and enjoys me? Man, that might sound subtle, but if we're coming to our relationship with God and our heart and posture and understanding of what he wants is something from me, not that he values me and enjoys me and delights in me and wants to be with me, 
Man, it's no wonder our lives are crazy busy, that our, our limits are far surpassed and our capacities are super overworked. And so what is it for you? What is the invitation? I want to encourage you to resist the urge to be connected and consuming. Turn off your phone, shut down your computer, be present to yourself, present to God, and present with those around you. Yes, Jesus is our rest. Man, that's our, that's our baseline, that's our posture. And I want to ask you, what in your life is currently declaring that that is true of you and for you? How are you practicing the reality of the rest that you have in Jesus? And I hope there were some things in here that are helpful and things that you're considering. And I want to leave you with this last question before we transition into a time of response. Is this, what would it look like for you to receive the, the gift of Sabbath rest as a means to delight in Jesus and as a means to foster deep communion with him that reorients our hearts to him, that resists the idols of productivity through the pace of life and the rhythms and limitations that he's given us. I'm going to lead us in just a time of response. I'm going to invite the band uh, to come back up, begin making preparations for leading us during this time of response. There is uh, a prayer bench over here, and I believe up front that you can use if you would find that helpful in your processing and things to consider. I've been told that there will be uh, somebody in the back uh, that's there willing and ready uh, to pray with you. And so I encourage you to leverage that if you would find that beneficial. And then the last thing I would want to invite us to is a response through communion. The image, uh, the reality of Jesus' blood shed for us and his body broken for us. It becomes a reminder of the rest that we have. He finished the work. And so I can set aside my work and rest from it. Right? Let's come be renewed by that finished work. Uh, and you're a part of the family and, and man, your dependence is in Jesus and you're expressing a deep need for him, then we invite you to come and partake uh, as you feel ready. You can just come right up, grab the, the elements, take them back to your seat and partake that way. I'm going to pray and then the band will continue leading us. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the ways your scripture challenges us, motivates us, and points us to you. Man, may we be reminded that we don't just read scripture and unpack scripture through teaching um, because we want to know more interesting things about you. You self-express that it's the revealing of you. We search the scriptures because in them we find you, not cool things about you. And so I pray that we be reminded by that. I pray that you would uh, meet us exactly where we're at. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move and speak loudly into the, the lives of individuals who are wrestling to do in response to the gospel uh, and the truth that was proclaimed here this morning. Give us the freedom. Uh, give us the space and the grace to respond as you feel led. Amen.